Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones and I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here today. Today we are in part three of our series called Anchored. And in this series, we are looking at the letter of Hebrews, which was written almost 2000 years ago to Jewish Christ followers. Now these Jewish Christ followers had uh, left what was familiar to them or their old anchors in exchange for a new relationship or a new anchor in Jesus. And so uh, the reason this letter is being written to them is that they were undergoing persecution by the Romans and by the Jews uh, for their belief in Jesus. And then last week, we learned uh, that we would also reconsider things. We would reconsider Christ and return back to the familiar uh, when life storms happen to us as well. Uh, we would consider returning back to the familiar, such as relationships or religious beliefs or habits or self-reliance. And so uh, yet we know that those things ultimately don't last and they don't support us as well in those moments that we are undergoing persecution and stuff. So if you missed the last two weeks, I highly recommend you to check out the last two weeks and our messages on our podcast uh, so that you'll be able to see where we have been. Now today, I want us to dive even deeper into the book of Hebrews. And these Christ followers, these Jewish Christ followers, Yes, they were reconsidering Christ and they wanted to go back to the familiar and it was because of fear. Like they saw these firsthand eyewitnesses who saw Jesus come back or saw him die and then come back to life and they were undergoing persecution, they were being beaten and even some of them were being put to, get, to death. And so these Jewish Christ followers, uh, they saw what was happening and they started to uh, let fear rule their lives. They started to allow fear to define them. They wanted to exchange one identity for another identity. Now, at some level, uh, we get that. We understand that. We understand when external pressures come upon us, um, that there's this thing in us that wants us to conform uh, we understand when there's some kind of outside pressure uh, that we should be something. Uh, we've all taken on identities that are out there. Uh, when we've gone through high school, I mean, we've all had our identity crisis, right? Um, how many of us, you know, we had to figure out which group that we were going to hang with and which group that we weren't going to hang with? You know, where were we going to find our identity? Well, last week I shared with you... Um, because I have like tons of high school identities. But last week I shared with you this funny story of how my friends, they knew I was a Christ follower and they used to rag me all the time uh, back then. And they assigned this nickname to me or this identity, it was Hebrew Jones. And some of you asked uh, me, well, what did Hebrew Jones uh, look like? And so I brought in a picture, there's Hebrew Jones right there, yeah. Look at that hair, that clean shaved face, kind of looks like a mama's boy, but uh, can stand in for 007. So that was Hebrew Jones. And then after that, I shaved my head and my goatee and I became Devilman Jones, all right? So my volleyball team gave me that name because of my new identity, my new look. And they even found some heavy metal band that had the song, Devil Man, Devil Man, Devil Man. And uh, we would run out of the locker room and warm up to Devil Man, Devil Man. They're like, Devil Man Jones, yeah, you know? And so 
a little craziness. My parents were like, what is going on? Uh, but anyways, um, another identity that I had or another nickname that I had was the Timinator. And some of you saw this recently at our dodgeball tournament. I mean, look at that intimidation, you know? Everybody else is smiling in that picture, but I'm all business, all right? And so uh, the Timinator came out from retirement at the dodgeball tournament. And then my final nickname or final identity that I had was Mascot Jones, all right? There I am on the left and on the right there, two places at once. But anyways, uh, the reason we did that was a couple of my friends and I, we tried out for uh, being the official school mascots. We got cut. I mean, how do you get cut for that? And so we said, we are going to be the unofficial mascots. And so we would go to every single football game. I mean, we became the mascots. We put them like to shame. And so we had a lot of fun uh, being the unofficial mascots. So I shared with you just a couple of my crazy identities in high school. I hope you enjoyed that. Trent and Evan are going to have a lot of fun in the next several weeks because I've given them tons of ammunition for this series. But seriously, you know, haven't we all had moments where we've tried to find our identity? Haven't we all had moments where we face something to conform us, to define us uh, in our lives, you know? But yet, when we look at identity, doesn't our identity really come from what we believe about ourselves, you know? So let me ask you a question. Don't answer this out loud, but what do you believe about yourself? What's your identity? You know, when life storms come, do you find your identity in Christ or do you find some other identity emerge in your life? And so in those moments when we have that happen, the real question that we need to ask is how do we strengthen our identity? You know, and to answer that question, we really have to look at how God sees us. And so my hope today is that when we see ourselves or when you see yourself in how God sees you, then you will be able to understand how you can have security and anchor your lives in him when those storms kick up. Now, if you are not a Christ follower or you're just checking out this whole thing, you're kind of returning and kind of getting your feet wet again, you know, here's the thing that I know about you. There's a part of you that has experienced from religion or from church this kind of um, thing to define you. And so when you go to church, you've been told you got to do all these certain things, you got to act a certain way, and it's frustrating because you've tried. And I don't know where that comes from because when we look at uh, what God and how he sees us, um, he, he has no expectations like that for you. And so today, as we unwrap this message, my hope is that you will understand what is it then that's in you that is trying to do something. And, and forget, you know, what the church is trying to do and religion is trying to do, but what is that part? Because there is a part in there that says you've got to do something. And so we're going to stumble upon that as well today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 11. You can use your smartphone device or you can use uh, one of the Bibles in the back. We're going to put the verses up on the screen so I don't leave you in the dust. Um, No, just kidding. All right. Uh, A little competitive coming out. That was a joke. But uh, anyways, uh, go ahead and turn to Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 11, and I'll give you a second to get there. All 
All right, as you find it, let me tell you where we are jumping in into this letter. Remember, this is a very technical letter, okay? The writer is very familiar with all the systems of Judaism, its priests, its sacrifices, the temple itself. And so when we first read this, it's like, what is going on, you know? But we'll unpack this together. And so the spot that we're picking up in, the writer has just shown us that Jesus, coming back to life from the dead, which eyewitnesses had seen, um, fulfills God's promise. It fulfills that, it proves that God kept his oath, that kept his promise to send his son to be the final sacrifice for our sins. And so that's why we can have Jesus as our anchor. That's why we can be secure in him. And when Jesus also came back to life, it also demonstrated, it also proved that he could be our high priest and that he ushers us into the very presence of God. Now, at the beginning here, I'm going to show us that this writer wants us to know two important things. And the first is that he wants us to understand why Jesus can usher us into the very presence of God. And then he is going to show us why, what Jesus secures for us as well. And so that's where we're diving in. So let's begin in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With this, with his, that's Jesus, with Jesus's own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever." So let me start out with kind of addressing the obvious, okay? You're probably thinking, what is up with all the blood and sacrifices? I mean, you know, seriously, the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about blood. We've talked a lot about sacrifices. I mean, it's everywhere. You know, blood, guts, who's next? Bambi, you know? Um, So let me tell you what's going on here. When God created the earth, he created it as perfect, okay? And so... When Adam and Eve sinned, when sin entered this world through Adam and Eve's sin, it corrupted everything. That's how serious sin is. Sin destroys life. It destroys our life. And so from the very beginning, God taught that sin causes death. And the only way to uh, divert his judgment, his immediate judgment of our sins is for there to be a substitution of a life for a life. And so God himself actually slaughters an animal for Adam and Eve to cover their sin. And so from that starts this whole thing of blood sacrifices to show us that our sins could be forgiven through a blood sacrifice and is the temporary means to hold off God's judgment until the death of Christ. And so here's why Jesus can usher us into the very presence of God. It's because of his blood that was spilt for us. See, ultimately, God sent his son to die for us and to do away with sin once and for all. And so he exchanged his life freely for our sins and took on God's wrath on himself. And so Jesus wasn't forced to do this. Uh, He paid the price on his own for us. And so he didn't demand like our blood. He doesn't hold that over us at all. Instead, he substituted his life for our lives. He spilt his blood, and that's why we can enter in 
to the presence of God. Now, don't miss this part because it was kind of tucked away right there at the end of the passage. He secured something else for us, all right? So let me show you in verse 12 what he secured. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. So that word redemption means freedom. Jesus purchased for us to have freedom, freedom from the penalty of sin forever. And so with that freedom, God sees you as perfect. Did you know that? He sees you as perfect. He gives you a new identity through Jesus's blood. And that is our new identity. And there's a lot behind this identity. In fact, we're going to unpack what that means uh, for the rest of the message. So let's focus on this new identity that he gives us. So here we go, verse 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. So what that means is the animal sacrifices, when offered with a sincere heart, could secure forgiveness for that moment. But if you came and you offered that sacrifice and you weren't sincere about being sorry, then it was just an outward thing. It didn't count. And so um, we didn't have, and that sacrifice, it didn't give us a new life. And so these sacrifices could never give us a new life, never give us a new identity. And it couldn't give us a heart towards God. So God wanted to do something about that. And listen to what he starts to do. Verse 13, under the old system, the blood of goats and, uh, sorry, skipping down to, Verse 14, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. You know the reasons we have a hard time of seeing ourselves as God sees us? It's because of our conscience. It's because... Um, it condemns us when we do something wrong. It also causes us to hide when we make mistakes. Our conscience, when we do something, it tells us that we cannot approach God in that moment. And there's something else that's going on within us. There is a sin nature. That means there's this desire to want to do the things that are wrong. There's this thing that's within us that just is ugly. There's things such as fear and bitterness and anger and rage and envy and jealousy and so many other things. All those come from something within us and it comes from sin. But when God gives us a new identity, he doesn't give us those things. Instead, he gives us a new identity when we become Christ followers. And so those things, they come from sin. And they also do something within us. They give us this, uh, create kind of a deficit or a debt within our lives. Now, for some of you who are not a Christ follower, you know, when you look at that and you hear that, you, you say, hey, you know, that's part of the reason that I feel like I've got to manage this thing within me and kind of this manage this debt that I have. You know, there's some kind of debt that I feel in my life. In fact, sometimes this debt drives me to seeing that I've got to do something to earn God's favor and do all these good things in order to have a right standing with him. Or sometimes uh, in those moments, you know, when you are trying 
trying to do those things, you get so frustrated and say, how much more do I have to do? But yet our conscience tells us that we have more to do. Or for some of you, you know, sometimes you try to manage it by just simply ignoring God or just turning your back on him or living in fear, you know, as you turn away from him and he all of a sudden you think, man, one day, you know, I'm ignoring this debt, but you know, I might have to pay for it or I feel like maybe God will come after me in some way. And so either way, we are trying to manage this debt, And the reason that you kind of rule out um, religion or rule out God is because you've tried all of those things. You've tried to be good, and yet you find that it doesn't work. And so is it enough? Well, there is something that's enough. There's something that you don't have to do. And so Jesus comes and he says, hey, I've done something, and all you have to do is receive. All you have to do is take what I'm offering you. And so if you want peace with God, if you want to have your debt canceled, then all you have to do is receive Jesus as your savior because he paid the price for our sins. He cancels the debt so that God sees us as perfect. It's something that is given and all we have to do is receive what's been given to us. And so the writer continues, he also says this, he wants us to understand this. This is what he's getting at. He says, when Jesus died, he sets us free from our sin and guilt, totally free. So when you become a Christ follower in that moment, you no longer are controlled by your sin nature. Is it in you? Yes. But does it control you? No. Does it uh, define you? No. It is not your identity. And yet this is what happens. This is what's true of you when you become a Christ follower. God sees you through Jesus. And he sees you as holy, as blameless, as perfect. Now, some of you are saying, hey, you know, but I still make mistakes, you know? I mean, what, what's going on there? Well, that's the sin nature that's still in us, but it does not rule over us because one day when we get to heaven, that's where perfection will come. But right now, as we are here on this earth, God just wants us to make progress when we are a Christ follower. And it doesn't have to control us, the sin nature. And so don't get frustrated with yourself. Instead, when you make mistakes, see it as proof that God has put his new identity, his new life in you, and all he is expecting is progress. He's not expecting perfection from you because he is already in his sight made you perfect. So let's continue on uh, as the writer unfolds this uh, new identity for us. So continuing verse 15, this is why Jesus is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised. So besides the new identity, there's an inheritance. We'll unpack that. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. So the writer indicates that not only does he give us a new identity, but he gives us an inheritance. When we become part of God's family, we are his children. And he gives us an inheritance, not something to inherit later on in life or in the future. Actually, he wants us to begin to experience that inheritance now. And so we're going to unpack that. So let's see what the inheritance that he gives us or that he has given to us. So if you would flip back to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. 
And this passage that we're jumping into is kind of the middle of the passage. The writer is quoting from a prophet named Jeremiah, one of the most famous prophets of God, one of God's spokespersons to be able to tell us exactly who he is. And many of the Jews, all the Jews, would have been very familiar with this passage because it meant so much to them. In this passage, we're going to see that God said, you know what? I'm going to save you, and I'm going to give you a new life and a new identity. Uh, And he was promising that. And this writer is saying, hey, you remember that? This promise is for you today, and it's for us as well. And so listen to this in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. But this is the new covenant, and this is God speaking, I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So right away, it is apparent that God is personally involved with us. Look how many times in the passage that he says, I will. Let me read that again. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. So God is making sure that our identity is secured in him by what he does, not by what we do, but by what he does. So what does he do for us? What is the identity that he gives to us? Um, it's, gonna, it's actually a lot. Um, And I'm only going to touch the tip of the iceberg, but listen what he does. So he gives us eternal life. So that's one of the first thing he gives us. He gives us God life. He gives us Christ's life. He gives us a new life. And so by giving us his laws on our minds and on our hearts, it gives us a desire to go after God in a relationship. It gives us the ability to be able to pursue him in a relationship. We can come to him like any relationship, like any friendship. And so by making us, a, giving us eternal life, we can have a relationship with God and it can deepen and it can mature. Another thing that he gives us, listen to this. He gives us a right standing. He makes us righteous. So he gives us a right standing. If you ever doubt whether you have a right standing with God, you have a right standing with God. It's through Jesus's blood that you are made perfect and we become his people. And then another thing that he gives us, he gives us Christ's character. And so he is conforming our lives to look more and more like Christ's life. And so he gives us the ability to change and to become like Christ. And so many of us, as he changes us, we learn to forgive, we learn to love, um, we endure, we show compassion, and we give. All those qualities that just draw us to Jesus are ours. And all we have to do is learn how to use them because they've been given to us in this inheritance. Now, this is going to sound a little weird, but we've been there with blood and sacrifice and everything, but he does something else. He gives us the Holy Spirit to reside in us. Now, I know that sounds weird, but the reason he does that is several. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of, to fulfill all the promises that he makes in our new identity. He says, I'm going to seal that with, by giving you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit directs us and guides us and helps us to focus on living out this new life that God has put in us. 
The Holy Spirit also helps us to understand and give us wisdom into learning about God and how to make decisions. And the Holy Spirit was given because Jesus said, I will be with you. And so he gives us the Holy Spirit to show that he came through on his promises as well. Now, here's the final thing, but again, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg. He gives us freedom from the power of sin so that we do not have to do wrong. So sin has lost its power over us. And he gives us the ability to recognize when we're about to sin and the decision to say no instead of caving into it. Do we become sinless? No. But does he give us the ability to sin less? Yes, as we embrace that truth from him. Now, why does he do these things? You know, what did we do to earn those things? We didn't do anything. And it comes because he is a good, loving, heavenly father. And he loves to give his children great gifts. And he wants you to know exactly who you are and your identity in Christ. And he wants you to understand how he sees you. What two great gifts for you, know, to, for you to have a new identity and to know it and for you to be able to know how God sees you and never question it. And he does those things so that when people see you, when they see his love in you, they can say, hey, who is that? And you can share with them what the writer's about to share is that is God's love. Listen to this. Verse 11, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And so this is a prediction. This is a foretelling of what's going to happen in the future. One day when we are in heaven with other Christ followers, this wasn't just like a Jewish thing. God wants everyone to come to know him. And so he wants us to work diligently in telling others what Jesus did in history, that God sent his son because he loves us so much, that Jesus came to die for our sins. And he came back to life to show us that he has power over sin and over death and can forgive us of our sins. And when we put our trust, when we put our faith in Jesus, then he forgives our sins and we become part of his family with a new identity and with a new inheritance and a relationship with God. And when we tell others, we can help draw them from the storms of life into a relationship with Jesus, which he can be their anchor as well. Then the writer finishes with this, and I'm going to unpack this because it needs a little unpacking. Verse 12, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. So pretty soon, actually, the temple of God went away. Now, you see, under the old system at that time, there were many Jews who thought in order to have a relationship that in following him, it was all about the sacrifices and all about the rules, and yet their hearts weren't in it. They, they were going through the motions. They weren't growing in their relationship with God. Their relationship with God had kind of stopped. They didn't know their identity. 
And that's not what God ever intended. And so he wanted to do something about it in that moment. And so that's why he made a new way. He sent his son, Jesus. And when we receive Jesus as our savior, he gives us a new identity, a new heart. He gives us an inheritance. He gives us a desire to be in a relationship with God. But here's something else that we should know and that the writer wants us to know, all right? So yes, God gives us a new identity. Yes, God gave that to us. But when we never exercise our identity in Christ, then we are tempted to go back to the familiar. And so while on earth, we have to work at being constantly in this relationship with God. Because when we stop growing, then that allows for stagnation. That allows for it almost to feel like we're dead on the inside. And that's not what God wants for us. So don't, ask, uh, don't answer this out loud, but how do you feel on the inside with God? Do you feel kind of stagnant? Do you feel kind of dead on the inside? Do you feel like returning back to the familiar instead of returning or turning towards Christ to anchor yourself in life storms? Now, um, at the end of last year, I found myself kind of in this very busy season and I felt like I was just going through the motions. And at one point I came across this message from Craig Rochelle and it spoke volumes to me. Uh, As he spoke, he said, you know, as he was listening to the inner dialogue, his conversation with himself, he felt like it was very negative and I could identify with that. And he said, you know, he found himself in a spot where he was just super negative, very critical, and it wasn't very pleasing. And he said this statement, and this statement was just powerful. He said, he said this, your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so if you are full of faith, full of this of God, then you will continue to your life be changed to look like Christ. Now, if you are negative or if you are feeling like, you know, there's just criticalness in me, there's just this uh, kind of almost like a disease in me and I just keep on being in the negative, then our lives will never lead to victory. And when he said those things, it kind of reminded me of what Paul said in Romans. Uh, he said this in Romans, Romans 12 two. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so in other translations, it says by renewing your mind. And so after hearing that, I was like, man, I've got to continue to practice renewing my mind. But this isn't about me changing me. You know, this isn't about... um, you know, me amping up or something. This is about me allowing God to change my thoughts, to stop thinking these negative things and to replace them with his truth and his promises and allowing myself to see how God sees me. So the question is, how do you strengthen your identity in Christ? Because I know for some of you, you think that you don't have a right standing with God. Some of you have prayed to receive Christ, to forgive your sins. You've done that like 20 times or 30 times, but yet it does not feel like you have a right standing with God. 
Well, based off the passages today, this is what you would need to do. So the, the thing that we need to do is remind ourselves of God's truths and promises. We write them down. We make these statements and we repeat them over and over again. And we allow him to change our thoughts. We allow him to change our lives, to look more like Christ. And so by looking at the passages that we've looked at today, you write down what God has echoed into your hearts. And so for some of you who don't believe that you have a right standing with God, you simply say this to God. You write down this statement, and here's an example of it. You say, basically, God, I am accepted before you because of your son. Jesus, you came and you spilt your blood for me. I can enter into the holy of holies because of you. God, you accept your son, therefore you accept me. And so when you go up against uh, the storms of this life, you remind yourself who you are in Christ is who you are, that you have been given a new identity. Or for some of you, you think that Jesus doesn't want to have a relationship with you, even though you're in a relationship. Sometimes you feel lonely. Sometimes you don't feel like he's there. You remind yourself that he came to die for my sins and that he chose to do that. He wasn't forced to do that, but he wanted to come. He wanted to be in a relationship with us. He wants to know our needs. He can be, or we can be in a forever relationship with Jesus because he is my God and he is my high priest. And so when we are in that place where we feel isolated and alone, we remind ourselves of God's truth and his promises, and we change our thoughts about what we might think that God sees us. Or for some of you, you know, sometimes you wrestle with, okay, God, can you really change me? I'm kind of stuck. It doesn't feel like I can change. And you remind yourself that simply that God has given me a new life and a new heart that I do not have to cave in to sin, that I can say no to sin. And he has freed me, and which leads me to a better life. And so when we say those things over and again, when we remind ourselves over and over of God's truth, then we begin to believe them. We begin to actually live them out. We begin to experience what God wants to experience, for us to experience because who we are is who we are in Christ. Let me say that again. Who you are in Christ is who you are. That's your identity. That's what God wants to, you to know, and that's how he sees you. So when life storms kick up, you can anchor yourself in Christ. When those negative thoughts come, you can remind yourself of truths and promises, and your life will start to be transformed. Your life will start to look more like Christ. Now imagine this, imagine if we latched on to five statements from this series, something that God has echoed into your hearts, maybe in the last two weeks, maybe today or in the messages to come, if we would all latch on to five statements, craft those statements, repeat them over and over again and see how God sees us, see what our identity is, what would happen? How would we face life storms? Because here's the truth, life is never going to get any easier. But as we go through those storms, it allows God to change our thoughts and our identity and for us to be grounded in Jesus who secures us, who's with us in all of those storms. So where are you at? Do you want your identity to change? Now, on the Spiritual Growth Challenge, 
at the Connection Center, I've put down some of these statements, I've put down some of these things, and it walks you through how to craft those statements. And so wouldn't it be awesome if we did that together? And wouldn't it be amazing to see how God can transform our lives? And so I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and then I want you to go on out, grab that Spiritual Growth Challenge. If we ran out, you can always get it online as well. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. So Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that you wrote this letter so many years ago to these Jewish Christ followers who were going through turbulent times. God, in our life, we know that. We understand that. There's so many things that can rock our world uh, any second of the day. And so, Father, we thank you that you want to show us exactly who we are in Christ and that you want us to understand exactly how you see us. When we're grounded in those truths and those promises, then we are secured in you. So thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. Thank you for being our substitute by exchanging your blood for our blood. And thank you for being our savior. And so God, I pray that you will be with everyone as they begin to embrace their new identity and to live from that. So we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a great Father's Day and we will see you next week.